0: Welcome to From the Booth, a podcast where we talk about the films playing at the BYU International Cinema. We are now in week seven of the IC Semester 2021 podcast, and this is part one of a special podcast on women's voices in six different films playing at IC this semester. Our guests today will focus their remarks on the Iranian film Yalda, A Night for Forgiveness, the Mexican film Identifying Features, and Vertical Ray of the Sun, a title that comes from Vietnam. My name is Marilah Oskarson, Assistant Director of International Cinema, and I'm joined here today by our three guests. We have Professor Jacob Hickman from the Department of Anthropology at BYU, His research interests include understanding how the processes of migration, displacement, and diaspora affect a host of cultural and psychological phenomena. Professor Hickman will talk to us about the vertical ray of the sun. And we are also joined by Professor Keith-Augustin Adams from the BYU Law School. With Associate Dean Carolina Nunez, Keith created the Refugee and Immigration Initiative that takes law students to the border area to provide frontline legal triage to asylum-seeking women and children detained in immigration centers. Keith will help us understand the Mexican film identifying features. Our last guest today is Aline Longstaff, who graduated from the BYU Law School in 2016. She has a great interest in intersection of law and religion. She got a degree in Middle Eastern Studies as well from the University of Utah, went on to obtain a master's degree in Theological Studies and Islamic Studies from Harvard University, and is going to help us understand better Yalda, A Night for Forgiveness. Welcome to each one of you to our podcast today.
1: Thank you for having us.
2: Thanks. Glad to be here.
1: Thank you.
0: So Jacob, we are going to start with the film that you've seen for this podcast, The Vertical Ray of the Sun. What are some of the aspects of these films that interested you and and why?
1: So I'm a Southeast Asianist and an anthropologist, so I spend a lot of time doing extended field work in Southeast Asia, including Vietnam. Although I work with one of the Highland ethnic minorities, this film is set in Hanoi. And it's frankly, it's it's a bit of a, a slow film, but in a good way it's rather immersive and it centers on the relationships between three sisters it explores a number of issues including gender and sexuality and the drama pretty slowly unfolds but again i think in an immersive way and you have these parallel plot lines between these three sisters and their their marriages their romantic interests and I think the, the pace of the film is quite intentional in that you have small pieces of dialogue that sort of slowly build up and gives you a richer context of how these women see each other, how they see their relationships. And it sort of plays nicely into, as I mentioned, the parallel plot lines that play out with each of them. So I thought in terms of gender and sexuality are absolutely central to the themes that are being explored here. And I think it does. So, you know, I don't want to provide any spoiler alerts or anything, but it ends up being much more dramatic than one anticipates with the slow immersion that really sort of draws you into life in Hanoi. So it's, it's set in the capital of of Vietnam in the city of Hanoi. And there's, you know, some extensions into rural Vietnam and so on. But I thought it was quite a, a gripping film by the end. I mean, it's, Again, commenting on the pace, there's a rather slow crescendo, but it builds up quite dramatically. And I thought in those ways, it, it quite effectively explored Vietnamese-specific issues and perspectives on gender and sexuality.
0: Yes, definitely. Those sisters were so close, and there is a lightness to their relationship, and yet there's, there's deep secrets in their lives that unfold throughout the movie that, as you said, really changed the mood for the film. The cinematography, I thought, was absolutely breathtaking and gorgeous and the colors and the pace of the film, as you said, really help us just enter another dimension, another cultural dimension. What are some cultural aspects of this film that you feel our students might lack in understanding uh, what's going on?
1: Yeah, so just commenting real quickly on the cinematography, it was both breathtaking and mundane, and that's high praise is how I'm intending that. Because the, the filmmaker Tran Anh Hung, he really sort of like sucks you into, so I spent some time in Hanoi and you just feel immersed in a small Hanoi neighborhood basically for much of the film. And then it takes you out to Halong Bay, I believe the, the other rural location is, which is also just a a gripping, breathtaking spot that there's both a banal sense of just being there in the everyday, but then there's sort of like the backdrop for what turned out to be quite dramatic, you know, uh, unfolding plot lines. But yeah, in, in terms of what we're particularly interested here in issues of gender and sexuality, I think one of the critical issues to understand is that... So the filmmaker was born in Vietnam in 1962. He migrated to France in 1975 after the end of what we in the United States call the Vietnam War, what Vietnamese call the American War, of course. So he was a Vietnamese-born French film director... And I think having been brought up in Vietnam, or at least up until the age 12, and then going on to become a film director in France, he he provides a real bicultural perspective that is strongly rooted in Vietnam. And his film, particularly this film, is really about sort of like capturing that daily life in Vietnam, and particularly these issues of these gendered sense of what it means to be a woman, what it means to you know, sexual experiences in both marriage and outside of marriage. I think it's critical for particularly people consuming this film in the United States for us to think not just about these issues of gender as we conceive of them, but what the Vietnamese specific ideals about gender and personhood would be that sort of underpin these plot lines.
0: There is definitely a criticism of women's place in society, and maybe we see that in the younger sister who seems to be so naive, and yet the older sisters are are not helping making that education that she needs, right? Right there's an easy closeness between them, but yet other relationships are harder. And we are left with a sense of of great loss, not only because we're celebrating the anniversary of the death of their parents at the beginning, the mother, at the end, the father, but as well, it's like looking at that relationship, the parental relationship with new eyes. And I think for us, the viewers, the story that, that seemed innocent at times takes on a, a real solemn tone, I, I thought.
1: Yeah, so that's that's the other thing that you really get. Again, it develops slowly and it gives you sort of a, a an everyday sort of perspective on these things, but you develop this sense of what Vietnamese kinship is like. You know, ancestral mm-hmm. rituals for the parents who passed away, all this dialogue about the parents and their and their lives, and there's even an investigation where they're trying to figure out something about their mother's life when she was younger and a potential love interest that she had. And so you get a real sort of like deep sense of what these family relationships mean. And for lack of a better term, Vietnamese family values, in a sense, and the specific ideals that revolve around that. And the younger sister, also her relationship with her brother is sort of one of the key themes. They live together and they're clearly uh, love each other quite a bit as brother and sister. And it's sort of her, her naivete also ends up being, it, it's not what it appears to be, right? Exactly. Um,
0: Yeah. And director Tran Han Hung said that there's a difference between the cinema of experience and what I try to do, which is the cinema of expression. So I think reminding our students to look for that, not so much the experience, but the expression. He said, I want to create images that are palpable and sensual as possible, but which have a spiritual resonance. And that's the invitation that I would leave our our students is to look for the spirituality and the palpable images in this film
1: some of the advice I give to my anthropology students when they're doing ethnographic research in a new social context that is foreign to them, to always look at something, to observe it, to really take it in, and then ask yourself the question, what has to be true about the world for this to really make sense? And I think that's actually a pretty good way to approach this film, is there are some quite surprising plot lines and developments, and even the, some more mundane elements. I think it is a genuinely immersive film that... If the student were to approach this and ask themselves the question, what has to be true about life, about gender, about sexuality, about family relationships for this to make sense? I think they'll come away with some pretty profound insights.
0: Beautiful. And this is actually a perfect transition for the film that Kif watched, Identifying Features. If we think about what has to be true in Mexico, in the Mexican society, in the American society, for this film to make sense, what would we say? Identifying feature, there is hope, there is a brutal reality as well. It's about maternal love, inequality, corruption as well. We follow the mother who stayed behind, not the son who immigrated. Usually I mean a lot of immigration films actually follow the, the travel across the border, but here it's another travel. What 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 do you make of this
2: film, Keith? It's a devastating descent into a profoundly difficult family situation. I'm glad that Jacob described his film as slow because this movie starts out very thoughtful, very quiet, long scenes with not so much action as as we delve into this relationship between a mother and mothers, multiple mothers and their sons, their sons who have emigrated and what it means to be a mother, what it means to be a child, a son of a mother in this in the in the late 20th century early 21st century in in Mexico and the story that i see being told here is one that resonates with the work that i've done at the border with law students to represent women and their children in a family detention center in Dilly, Texas. And this is this is sort of the the flip side as as you said Mary Lou of of how the people who are left behind deal with and try to come to terms with that migratory experience. It also resonated very much for me in terms of the stories that the women in detention tell us as legal assistants that the reality and the brutality of violence along the migratory path is is very real. At times, at least at the beginning, I thought the movie felt like a documentary. It, it becomes somewhat apparent later that it's it, that it is not a documentary, but it it is a true representation of the challenges of life and the challenges of the migratory experience both for people who are traveling and people who are staying behind. And in that context, it's an example of so many different movies about the migratory experience from Sin Nombre in 2009, last year International Cinema, I guess maybe it's two years ago, also had Icebox, which Mm -hmm. focused on the experiences of a young boy once he was in the United States. There's another movie that I don't think... International cinema is shown called El Guardián de la Memoria. It's a twenty nineteen film about life on different sides of the border and the asylum process. And all of these movies emphasize how challenging the migratory experience is and why people would choose to migrate in the first place. I found this movie as a as a mother, I found this movie absolutely devastating you know and the title identifying features in spanish is señas particulares and it's a phrase that is one of the government officials in mexico uses to describe the, the child that one of the mothers is looking for and to understand that that so many of the people that come to the united states are in fact without identifying features, that they experience violence and may end up just lost in the desert as they travel to the United States, seeking a better life, um, seeking freedom from the violence that they are experiencing in their home countries is is, is really uh, a challenging piece.
0: Your comment about without identifying features, which is the the title in Spanish, right? And and in English, they did identifying feature for their title is very interesting and, and maybe talks more about language than other things. But I came out of this film wondering about the mother and wondering about her own identifying features. She has lost all kinds of grasp with her life as it was before. She is walking a walk of mourning. The human cost in this film is tremendous. And I have sat at the end of this film wondering about the own identity of the mother. Not only have so many... Migrants lost their identity in that travel. But what about the ones who are left home? What has become of home? And what about this all uncertainty? And as well, the nightmare on both sides of the border with very uncaring governments, I will say.
2: Yeah. Also, the movie is not just in Spanish. It's also in Zapotec, which is an indigenous language. And the Zapotec is not actually translated in the subtitles. And so you are hearing of a particular experience in Zapotec that the one character that the mother is talking to has, and it really ties it back into identity and indigeneity. And the mother herself has, she comes from Guanajuato in the sort of the central part of Mexico she can't read she is illiterate or can't read particularly well and she takes this journey to find her her child and encounters a world that is not friendly to indigenous people to people who are illiterate to women at at one particular level she at one point she's interacting with with people who are professionals. And it's just so interesting to see how she approaches that interaction and how she just keeps stating over, I need to do this. I need this. She's quite insistent with whomever she's interacting with that her quest is important and, and, and valuable, and she will do whatever it takes to, to find her child.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Keith, for um, watching this film and, and sharing, sharing your expertise and understanding of, of it.
2: It was a very difficult film for me to watch. And so just be aware that when you watch this movie, give yourself some emotional space afterwards to, to mourn.
0: Yes, wise words. Thank you very much, Keith. Our last title... Yalda, A Night for Forgiveness, is a 2019 Persian film and the winner of World Cinema Grand Jury Prize at the Sundance Film Festival 2020. It deals with female agency, the intersection of law and religion, and I'll say entertainment. It has elements of forgiveness, communal bonding over... Forgiveness is very important in, in this film. So it takes place in uh, the Iran of today, what are some of the things, Aline, that you took from watching this film?
3: I really, really enjoyed this film. It's kind of absurd in many ways, where there's a game show, and they bring on this character who has committed, her name is Miriam, and she's committed a crime. She's killed her husband. And I'm not spoiling anything, these are from the very front, from the very beginning of the film. But the premise of the the game show is essentially, or the reality show, is for the family, the daughter of the man that's been killed, to forgive the offender, Miriam. And there's a provision in Islamic law that allows for this thing that's called blood money, where the state essentially allows different sentencing if somebody pays blood money associated with a crime that they've done. And so this film goes into the nuances associated with that, which I thought was really interesting because it brings questions to our mind about what is justice, to whom does justice extend. Mm -hmm. In the U.S. legal system, justice is something that the prosecutor or the state seeks, right, on behalf of the victims. But there's a different type of role that families play, this idea of blood money in Iranian and Islamic societies to the extent that, you know, different jurisdictions have adopted rules around blood money that allow for justice, quote unquote, to be served and for it to be put on to a spectacle almost. Because this is a game show where the premise is whether or not the family, the daughter of the decedent will forgive a murderer. And so aside from that, there's other familial relationships between women. That's something that I thought that was very interesting about this film. All the main characters, I mean, going through my head just now thinking of, okay, who are the main characters that I could speak of? They're all female leads. And the relationships that they share with one another are, are, I think, reflective in some ways of connections that they have in the society based off of family ties or come as a result of exchanges they've had or circumstances in which they've had to reach out to one another to address issues that they have. It's a great film for understanding what justice means, what justice means in our society, juxtaposed with what it means in other societies.
0: Yeah, especially the televised uh, forgiveness, if, if I can call it like that, making of, of law in some way a show for millions of spectators to enjoy on a festive night. This is the night of Yalda celebrating the Winster solstice. This is a night... The last night of autumn, the longest night of the year, and Yalna means birth. It refers to the birth of a mythological goddess of light, Miltra. So this is what is played on that night. And actually that show was is is a real show, and that's what inspired the film and was on air for eleven years. It's not a show anymore, as of what I read lately. But what can we make of this show featuring sentences of life and death, not only celebrating the longest night and the birth of the light, but but this young woman, Miriam, could have lost her life during the show. Yeah,
3: for sure. I think one interesting aspect about this is, on the one hand, we can say that the show deals with very serious things. Why isn't the judiciary reviewing this? This is something that, because it's a vote by number, if the show gets a certain amount of text messages, then they'll pay half the blood money if the girl is forgiven. If they get even more, then they'll pay the full money. So it's contingent. There's some sort of incentive associated with forgiveness. What are the numbers? How does that affect our reviews? And we're kind of using a very horrible circumstance to advertise or to earn money. And I think on the one hand, that is, you know, Inappropriate, But at the same time, I think sometimes these circumstances cause people or they put different pressures on different circumstances for someone to be able to say, well, there's pressures in general associated with with how justice functions. And so allowing it's not like the, the audience is the jury. It's not like the audience is the judge. It's just the numbers that if the person who has the right to forgive decides to forgive, forgives, then the money will be paid so that. That thing is taken out of the equation, but I think at the same time it's it's interesting to see how people capitalize on those situations and also how they react. Right. So on the one hand, there are pressures associated with Mona; she's the daughter of the decedent. Who is the question is whether or not she will forgive, and then there's also pressures on uh, Miriam, the you know the convict, as they call her in the film, or the uh, murderer who committed the crime. And the, and these things unfold, I think, during the film that at least caused me to go back and forth about, is this right? Is this wrong? I can't believe somebody would allow for this sort of justice system to happen. But at the same time, it seems like people are making these things work based off of the circumstances. And it's hard to assign liability on who's right, who's wrong, whether society should be filming this or putting this on such a big pedestal as it is. So it kind of, I don't know, I, th- I think it kind of makes you switch your mind a lot throughout the film, which is an interesting experience.
0: Absolutely. Very interesting. Like a thriller, really, in some ways.
2: So Aline and I actually saw Yelda Night of Forgiveness together at Sundance in 20...
0: 2019?
2: Was it? No. It would have been when, oh. whenever whenever we were still able to do in the four times. 2020. That's true. That's true. 2020. 2020. 2020. Right. Okay. Yeah. It was 2020. Yeah. Uh, and one of... One of the connections I see between YALDA and identifying features is the question of what it means to be a mother. There are a number of mothers in YALDA, just as there are a number of mothers in identifying features and how each one, their circumstances allow them to approach the question of motherhood or, or not to approach the question of motherhood I think it's a fascinating connection and it and it ties in with the movie that Jacob watched in terms of family relationships as well. And I thought it was interesting as Jacob discussed his movie that we didn't hear about mothers. We hear, heard about sisters, but I would be interested to know if that particular family relationship comes up in your movie as well, Jacob.
1: Yeah, so that's actually one of the things that I really noticed as both of you were discussing your films. It is one of the core kinship relationships that really is sort of played out in this sort of mundane fashion, but it ends up being quite powerful because you have multiple dimensions of motherhood. And I mean, in one instance, it's fatherhood might on the surface be the sort of like plot line that uh, is connecting these different mother mother-child relationships but in fact it's sort of like emotionally it's the it's the mother-child connection that ends up being the real profound uh, I'm, i'm trying not to spoil the plot here but it ends up being the sort of real profound dimension of these relationships and the decisions that people have to make in these difficult circumstances and not only motherhood but prospective motherhood is one of the driving plot lines here that is is just really quite powerful as as I said, there's kind of a slow crescendo, but when it really starts to get intense, motherhood becomes a much more central feature of these relationships.
2: So fathers are largely absent, not entirely absent, but largely absent from from identifying features. They're important. Fathers are important in Yalda though, right, Aline? Yes, and it's a bit ironic because it was the death
3: of the father that caused this, you know, the trial. And so it's, the, the whole film is discuss, discussing whether or not the daughter can forgive the father's killer, but the father is not present for that. He doesn't have a voice. And so all the circumstances you understand about that father-daughter relationship um, and how that plays out in other mother-daughter relationships or mother-son relationships in the film, He, he doesn't have a voice. And so it's just contoured.
0: And the contract, if I remember well, between Miriam and the much older husband, we're talking, she's 22 and he's in his 60s. The contract stipulates that they will be married for a very precise number of years and they cannot have children.
3: So it's, I don't think it's a sport. It's a nuance. Maybe that will help the listeners understand the film. But they had a temporary marriage in Islam. There's different, apparently different types of marriages that you can engage in, and this one was a temporary marriage so that you are you can avoid sin, quote unquote, associated with potentially premarital relationships from a spec on a spectrum, right? I'm not like from hand holding to sex, right? But at the same time, one of the terms of the contract you know between the couple was that she would not get pregnant and so the implication of of that comes into play as well throughout the film and I mean Miriam the main character she also has her mother and her mother acts in a certain way and her mother comes with her on the show to some degree and there's those relationships and then it's just a spectrum of what it means to be a mother and how that causes you to act. And I think it also, it's funny because it also, I mean, the show is about forgiveness, but also how you judge these players and, you know, the reasons why they do things. I think the fact that they were a mother or how they navigated that relationship for me at least came into my analysis and whether or not I signed liability to them for behavior that I thought was inappropriate or appropriate.
0: Very good. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today on From the Booth. And thank you so much, Jacob, Keith and Aline for helping us with these films and for your expertise. Our podcast is produced by the International Cinema Program at BYU and supported by the BYU College of Humanities. We're solely responsible for the opinions and ideas expressed here, as we do not represent any official position adopted by the university or its supporting institutions. We thank our producer, Dewey Walter, our sound engineer, Marina Ekstrom-Pratt, Johnny Stallings, who composed the music, and all the musicians involved in making our jingle possible, the BYU Humanities Resource Center for their help and support. Until next time. Next week, keep streaming.